Hello, I'm Stephanie Boloris, your host for today's episode of Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the major changes in the market influencing executive priorities. Today, I'm excited to be joined by principal analyst Janan Budge to discuss the challenges of toxic culture in the security organization. Welcome, Janan. Hi, Steph. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So I guess just to kick things off, let's go ahead and get started by talking about why you chose to write about this, why you wanted to speak and really pursue this this topic, because I know you've been passionate about it for a long time. Um, and then I'm also curious, too, what has been the reaction from the security community itself? So, Steph, I started this, I think it was back in April 2020, and I was inspired by some research that you'd be well across on uh, security self-inflicted staffing shortage by Jeff Pollard and uh, Joseph Blankenship and others. And I loved that research that really spoke to me because we called out uh, some pretty major issues in the way that we hire cybersecurity. And I think we were the first or one of the first firms to call out that this is self-inflicted. Um, and because I've been a practitioner before joining Forrester, it resonated. What also uh, resonated for me, though, was the fact that this is not only about hiring and the way that we hire people in the industry, because I know from experience that we hire a lot of amazing people. We do a great job at bringing people in, but people just leave security. And why are they leaving? So when Heidi Shea decided to do the research on retain talent, I was like, please include me. I'd love to work with you on this. In my career before joining Forrester staff, I have been in teams where I saw and experience toxicity in a way that we can't even imagine here. I've seen grown men throw chairs at each other in the middle of rooms. I've seen crying. I've seen people storming out of meetings. I've seen many friends leave the industry and I wanted to put my finger on that. So, um, Heidi and I started in our interviews trying to ask the question about toxicity and why is it happening in our industry? And we we, we were getting some fairly perfunctory responses. And I thought, oof, it's the way that I'm asking the question. Couldn't really put my finger on it. Uh, so I went out to the community uh, broadly in social media, asked the question about toxicity, was overwhelmed by the responses. Everybody was an expert. Everybody had a horrible story to tell. And there was this sense of gratitude that we finally spoke the word toxicity. Yeah. So let's pick it up with that informal poll that you, that you did. Um, you know, I'm curious, were there some, some factors and some things that uh, you hadn't thought of, or, you know, I'm curious what actually came up as what people thought was the contributing factor to such a, a toxic culture and toxic environment. Yeah, there were definitely factors that I didn't I didn't pick up. So my first question to the community was, um, hey, you know, I'm trying to explore why toxicity is such a big deal in security um, versus other professional professions. Why is this a big deal for us? And I listed a few things such as um, I think ego was something that was really uh, high on my list. But when I started analyzing the responses from the community, there was, of course, so much more to it. And I learned so much. So for example, the, the thing, the one that surprised me is that the number one cause for toxicity is actually the lack of organizational support for security. 
And what, and that came through, of course, many different words that I grouped under the umbrella. But what transpired is that, of course, people are really, really unhappy working in a culture where security is being uh, seen as a tax, as a pain, as a nuisance. Uh, so that then creates all sorts of downstream impacts for the SISO, for the security team. Uh, so that came out. The other one that came out was uh, what we ended up broadly calling the hero complex. And this also came through by so many different names, um, the messiahs, the bros, the invincibles. And it's it refers to people who think that they are right, that only they are right. And um, as somebody said, and they walk around beating their own chest about it, the amount of toxicity and angst that causes to their bosses, to their team members, to their colleagues is quite significant. That's interesting. So, and you mentioned that some of these are really unique to, to security. So is that true that there's something peculiar about the security function that breathes this toxicity more so than other parts of, of IT. And, you know, I will say I have seen it in the numbers, like in the past when we've done some research into diversity, you know, in general, IT is terrible. You know, um, it, at least some of the numbers I've seen, you, you'll see 30% um, women, for example, within IT, but then you get to cybersecurity and it, it drops down. It drops to worse. 11, <laughs> it's even worse. It's, it's only 11%. So, um, do you think there there are these unique things in the security function that seems to breathe this kind of toxicity? I, I do think there are some uniqueness. So the first thing I want to say is that this is not a problem that's unique to security. So when I've written about this, I've had people contact me from all different professions. And you're right, IT is a, is a big one. Where I think security starts to diverge is um, it is a newer profession. One of the, uh, one of the, top 10 causes is low leadership maturity in security. So people talk to me about how their bosses uh, don't know how to give feedback, for example. They don't know how to receive feedback. They don't know how to get buy-in from their team, let alone the rest of the organization. And I think to your point, in security, we have seen a lot of leaders progress coming from a technical background, not necessarily focusing on leadership, not necessarily focusing on change management. Whereas when you look at other disciplines, so when I've interviewed, um, for example, more longer established leaders for my research, such as chief risk officers, CEOs, company chairmen and chairwomen, uh, you know, one of the things that they talk to me about a lot more than uh, technology or their actual subject matter is leadership and how they've gone on their journey of uh, politics, change management. We don't see that so much yet in security. We're still evolving. Okay, that's fascinating. So for the security leaders out there, what kind of advice can you give them if they if they do suspect that they have one of these toxic toxic cultures? For me, one of the one of the pieces of advice that um, that I think is really important is to name it and to acknowledge it, to name toxicity and acknowledge it. And I know um, a lot of people are like, no, give me something a lot more tangible. It's like, but we don't even do that. We don't even do that. I find a lot of people in security, uh, when they see something like this happening, they'll because there are so many good people, they'll bury their heads in the sand. Oh, you know, this is going to go away. This is just people being childish. Whereas 
I think uh, one of the most important steps to correcting something is to call it out and to acknowledge it and to give it a name. There is the position of listening and understanding all the different perspectives. Why is this toxicity happening? Is that person who's perpetuating toxicity really a brilliant jerk or are they having a terrible time at home with their families? Are they having financial troubles? The way that you deal with that is going to be different for both. Uh, There are steps that we can all take during the interview process to hone in on who might be toxic, who might not be toxic. And I think also making those tough calls. Sometimes you've just got to make the tough call. You've listened, you've been empathetic. It's really important. Empathy is the new superpower. However, at some point, there's time to make the tough call and um, and let people go if nothing else works. Yeah. It's interesting what you said about actually naming it. I, I realized there's one thing we didn't do, which is actually defining what we mean by toxic culture. I mean, there's some obvious things to me. I mean, we kind of talked about recruiting and retaining women. I mean, there's obvious um, gender bias, there's bullying, but is it is it more than that? You kind of mentioned like the, the pressures of, of the security function. So is it lack of enthusiasm, employee turnover, backstabbing, gossip and drama? All, all of the is above. It all it's all of the okay. above. So the way that I defined it is that an unhappy security team will result in infighting, unhappiness and aggression. And it's really interesting because when people think about toxicity, like they do about uh, gender bias, like they do about bullying, they rightly think of it as an issue, uh, as a social issue and something that impacts people, mental health and careers. And it does, it really does. But where I think we need to think about this is the impact that this has on security posture in the organization and security risk. Because from my experience and now having delved into this research, a toxic team is going to be so busy fighting and crying. They're not going to be out there innovating. They're not going to be out there checking out the latest automation tools. Uh, Their organization will hate them because they're walking around in this cloud of misery, uh, not really able to engage properly with stakeholders, with the boards, like people the organization can can feel that. Uh, so I think the impact of this on security posture is the thing that we are not, uh, we're not really yet aware of. Uh, interesting. So that brings me to something else I wanted to bring up with you, which is your 2021 prediction that the CISO of a global 500 Oof. enterprise would be fired um, for instilling a toxic culture. Yeah. So I think you alluded to some of the, what, what brings you to this conclusion? Like, what, what do you have to back up? It's a very bold prediction. I don't disagree with you, but it's a very bold, bold prediction. It's quite a bold prediction. And, you know, I am not yet, I'm not, and nothing public has happened yet, but uh, I look throughout LinkedIn and I see, and, and social media and Twitter, and I see people calling out their bosses, their organizations. I think we are in the age of social media uh, where people are uh, a lot more willing and able to speak out about things. I think also one of the one of the pieces of research that we do at Forrester that I love is around values-based decisions. And it's around the fact that shareholders, customers, employees 
are making decisions and driving companies to do things based on values. So we've seen um, we've seen that occurring certainly in Australia, where uh, executives have been fired for bullying and harassment. Um, as much as uh, I'm going to mention the Ellen DeGeneres show in the US, we had uh, instances of uh, people getting fired also as a result of that. So all of these things are coming to the surface, and people are voting with their feet. And it's not just the employees. It is the shareholders and the customers. So I think the time for everybody sitting back and just relying on their own private networks to talk about serial pests, which is, you know, Steph, I've been doing, uh, I've been in security for 20 or so years. And that's how we used to identify the people to not work for and to not hire. It was the domain of private networks. Now, a lot of this is out in the public. You conducted another informal poll on LinkedIn to see if people were likely to speak about toxicity. What, what did you find? Like, are, are people willing to speak out now? And and if so, um, I guess to your point that you just made, like, what's changed? What's in the past, like, you, you knew informally through your network who to avoid, but now publicly calling people out, what's what's changed? Well, I don't, and it's really hard to know, right? Because we no one yeah. has any solid data on this. And I ran the poll actually to try and see how realistic my prediction is. And the okay. results were, again, it, it raised a lot, a lot more issues than what I expected. But just anecdotally, Steph, without actual data, looking at the poll, 35% of people only said they would speak out. 65% are like, are you joking me? No, because we don't know how, we don't know who to report these things into. Um, the organization, uh, HR was very firmly implicated. They're not going to do anything. They're on the side of the leaders, the organization. Um, so it was. it's really difficult for people. I think speaking out is really difficult and, and as it should be um, in many ways because uh, – it's, it's a complicated topic. However, those who are firmly on the side of speaking out are like, no, you have to speak out. You have to do it not only for yourself, you have to do it for future generations. Uh, you have to have the courage in this. So I think it's a, it's a landscape, landscape that's divided. So there's steps that the CISO can take, there's steps that the firm can take. What about individuals themselves? I mean, do we do we as individuals, as security practitioners in the industry, is there anything that we could be doing ourselves? I mean, maybe we need to be, each of us needs to be holding up a mirror uh, to ourselves as well. Yeah, I love that. I do think there is space for each of us to be holding out a mirror. And I can't tell you the number of times that people have emailed or called or send me private messages to say, hey, I think I'm the brilliant jerk or what do I do if I'm the brilliant jerk? And I'm like, oof, right. we've all been there and I love that you're asking. Hey, I'm going to go back to empathy and I think it's truly, it's the antidote to toxicity. I think we all have a space to listen harder and not simply talk louder. So listening to colleagues, listening to others, um, embracing the idea of the ideas of our co-workers. You've no idea the impact that makes. And especially if they're different from yours, um, kindness. Uh, and if you can't be bothered being kind at the very bare minimum, being respectful. And I really do urge everybody, and I feel like this might be a completely different topic. It's something that I'm going to be doing a lot more research on. But back to the theme of International Women's Day, choose to challenge always. Where 
in whatever way that you can, in whatever way that you're able to, speaking out and doing something is important. Yeah, fantastic. You know, going back to your prediction, I realized something, you know, someone could easily be fired for for fostering a to- toxic culture, at least ignoring it. I can see that. But it's interesting now, like with, with a breach, the first thing that happens is a spotlight is shown on the, C- on the CISO. Who is your CISO? What are their experience? What, ha- what has been the strategy? Um, everyone's always looking for someone to, to blame. So I do wonder, you know, in a lot of cases, you look back at prior breaches and CISOs that end up taking the brunt of, of the blame. A lot of times there were deficiencies in core technology and core processes. But I, I do wonder in the future if it turns out that there was a toxic culture, could that be what what gets them fired? Look, you know, it's so interesting that you say that. So when I was trying to plot my research agenda, I um, looked at, uh, at least in my own country, at some of the ASX, Australian Stock Exchange, 100 breaches. And I tried to see if I could relate them back to the leadership and the team that I knew of that was there at the time. Um, I, I think it's a really long bow to draw without doing a lot of research, but I could see it. I could see it, Steph, in the same way that uh, when, uh, for example, we look at products and services that are offered by vendors and the ones that are excellent, anecdotally, almost always inevitably uh, turn out that they have really diverse teams uh, and have a significant focus on diversity. So none of this should surprise us. A positive culture always results in positive outcomes. And I think that shouldn't be different in terms of security posture. I think there's a relationship in what you're saying between breaches and toxic teams. Before we wrap up, there's something else I want to talk to you about. Can you talk a little bit about the working group called CyberShift, what it is, how did it come about, you know, what, what are the goals? Yeah, it's interesting. So we, um, uh, International Women's Day in March, uh, ISACA in Australia, uh, in conjunction with Australian Women in Security Network, uh, ran an event and the theme of the event, like International Women's Day, was Choose to Challenge. And they asked me to do a talk on the brilliant jerk. So this research, the stuff that we're talking about, which I happily accepted. And uh, once again, unlike every single time that I speak publicly about this topic, the, um, the results, the outcomes were quite uh, overwhelming. So this was actually one of the first in-person sessions that I have done for a very long time. And just seeing everyone's head nodding, uh, I remember I asked the question of the audience who he has resigned because they have been part of a toxic culture and people put up both hands and both legs um, to show what a significant problem this is. And, you know, we, we had so many conversations about it. So, We wanted to do an encore of this event and a group of us from various organizations in Australia, such as uh, Females in IT, uh, Australian uh, Women's Security Network, ISACA, ASA, we decided to get together and not only run an event, but also uh, seeing what ways we can uh, create change. And what we're going to do is do a talk, do a panel, but then run a series of workshops on each one of those themes that you've just 
that we've you and I have talked about to try and flesh this out and put a finger on it, then to see what solutions uh, we can come up with for the industry. We wanted to give people a safe space to talk about toxicity. We also, uh, in terms of objectives, wanted people to know that they're not alone. Um, and they certainly don't need to leave security because of these issues that they're facing. There's a there's a lot of positivity happening in our space. There's a lot of support. And we wanted to uh, just make sure that people knew that and to tackle it as an industry. Uh, so that's in Australia. Globally, I've just been speaking to um, a few folks on an initiative called Respect in Security, which is very similar. And that global initiative is also they've created a website and really raising awareness of this issue. So I think everybody at this stage is in the process of raising awareness of this. Right. So to close, I actually do want to come back to empathy again. I mean, I, I think people understand what empathy is. You know, it's the ability to to. Um, understand and to share the feelings of another. We talked about the importance of, of listening, but again, for, for the CISO, whether you're a CISO or you're another type of security leader, you're the CIO. A lot of, uh, in a lot of organizations, the CIO um, is also the CISO or the CIO is managing the CISO. How, in practical terms, how do you become more empathetic? Um, you know, we talked about the need to be empathetic and the need to listen you know, for someone who has risen up through the technical ranks um, in these roles, like what does that mean in a, a practical, uh, practical kind of example? What are the kinds of things that he or she can really do? I think in terms of uh, practicality, you know, I was on a research interview with this amazing Sizo, and she said to me, um, "You've got you've got two ears and one mouth uh, at all times. You have to use them accordingly. And I love that. I know, I know listening is something we just say, but I think, I, I just think the practice of listening is a lot more difficult. So sitting there, sitting there in silence, uh, I think there is a lot of empathy. Hold on. I'm just trying to find a quote uh, that I saw the other day and I just loved it. Um, it says, uh, it's actually by Plato, the highest form of knowledge is empathy, for it requires us to suspend our egos and live in another's world. So it's putting yourself in another person's shoes. Uh, why are they saying this to you? Why are they pushing back on you when you're proposing a security initiative to them? Um, is it because um, they're being horrible or is it because they genuinely have concerns? Um, and how are you going to know if you just act defensive and go to your ego and want to push through? So it is actually sitting down with another human being and fleshing out and working towards a situation of win-win. I'm no Brene Brown, so I don't know how else to describe <laughs> it, but it is, you know, and another beautiful research interview, um, one of the leaders said to me, um, one of the things that I do is that I listen with my ears, with my mind and my heart. And I thought, and this is a very senior person and it might sound fluffy, but I love that it is that whole concept of I mean, put yourself in my shoe, in your shoes and really, really listen to and hear what you're saying. Yeah. You know, I think for, for a lot of CISOs too, I think about, yeah, obviously they've got this, uh, oftentimes the security organization has this reputation of being the roadblock, the department of no, which drives me crazy. I hate that. I hate that term, but it still has some, some truth. Some truth. Yeah. Um, but is it actually 
scheduling meetings with your counterparts in the business, with your counterparts yeah. in IT, outside of crises, outside of demand, really understanding their priorities and their needs, um, just getting to know them also as as, as people. Um, yeah, it, it is actually coming up with a strategy for, for meeting with people to go on a, almost a listening tour. I love the idea of listening to us and I don't feel like we do that enough in security. And yes, it is listening to priorities, listening to objections. And really when I did my research on politics and how sizes lead change, listening to objections is probably the most important thing that you can do. People are not going to put objections to you on purpose or just for fun uh, or just for politics like we always imagine. They are there for a genuine reason. Do you need to change your approach? Do you need to change your security approach? How are you going to know unless you're sitting down with those people? Um, I am a big fan also of surveys, of running cultural mm. surveys, for example, and the thing with cultural surveys is they really hone in on the emotion around security. I think one of the things that we don't understand enough as security professionals and security leaders is that people have very specific emotions about security. You're going to tell me to use this password manager. You want me to implement zero trust. There's This is a very emotional topic. And for security professionals, we are also emotional about you know, you lead a team of analysts, you know how passionate we are about things. It happens when you've got brilliant people in a profession. So um, taking a step back from all of that and really focusing on the other person, I think is super important. Yeah. I almost wonder if you could learn from other employee experience initiatives and run an employee sentiment survey that looks internally at the security organization to, you know, if, if people aren't willing to speak up, publicly about toxic culture, can you at least get um, a gauge on the sentiment within your own security team? Because some of these security teams are huge. You have, you know, yeah. that manage 12 to 15% of the IT budget. Yeah. You, know, you might have 50 people doing identity and access management alone. Um, you know, you can't reach every one of them, but I, I do wonder if a, a sentiment survey could help a CISO really understand what their organization is like. I love the idea of sentiment surveys. You know, it's really interesting. I was talking to somebody about one the other day and they, they ran a sentiment uh, culture survey and they wanted to understand how people feel about security and what's stopping them from engaging with the security department. And um, the responses came back with, we have a security department. <laughs> and to your point, Steph, like this was not an insignificant security team. There was about two, 300 people in that team. Um, Lord knows what sort of budget. And it, how was the CISO supposed to know that unless they'd reached out and asked? So we don't, we don't do, in my view in security, we don't do enough reaching out and asking. And I know from my experience and the experience of my clients, um, when we try and do that, we get stopped and there are so many different reasons. Oh, no, no. Um, of course, we know what the most valuable information is for the business. Our enterprise architecture team has done that work. No, but we want to go out to the business because not only are you going to learn about whatever it is, the topic that you are going to learn about, but you, to your point, you are going to sit down with them. You're going to um, have coffees or virtual coffees with them and really hone in on some of the things, like really put your finger on some of the things that's stopping progress. Okay. Well, that's fantastic, Janan. Uh, thank you so much. Some really great advice for, I think, CISOs, the direct reports of the CISOs, whether you're 
you know, VP, director, manager level, I think everybody contributes to, to security culture. Um, broader IT leaders out there understanding what security teams are facing and how you can, you know, work with them and challenge them. And then I also say for, you know, all the business leaders and marketing leaders that might be listening as well, like, you know, gives you some some great information for having great conversations, I think, with your, with your CISO and challenging them and then also having some constructive conversations with them as well. So, Janan, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. If you like what you heard today, be sure to check out our Security and Risk event November 9th and 10th in Washington, D.C. and online. For details, visit 4.com slash SR21. That's forr.com slash SR21. Thanks for listening.